Well, good morning, family. Are you ready for the good news? Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. Can I do that? Let me tell you about Jesus. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We're just making our way through uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 this morning. Uh, just as a recap, you know, I named this series The Jesus Way of Human Flourishing because I want to remind you guys every week what Jesus is doing in his Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he's up, he's talking publicly to believers, to non-believers. He's up on a mountain and what he's saying is really important. And Jesus is after our flourishing. Jesus is after our flourishing, our, in other words, our ultimate satisfaction in life. And so what he's doing is he's inviting us to, uh, to leave our way of being in the world, a way where we are, we're split, we're double, double-minded, it's a miserable way of living where our external behaviors, they don't necessarily line up and match up with what our heart desires the most. They don't match our internal desires. And Jesus is inviting us to enter into his way of being in the world. He calls it the kingdom. That just means his way of being in the world, where we will experience wholeness, abundant life united to him. That life only comes when when we're united to him, though. And so today, Jesus is going to continue. He's going to teach us how to pray in a way that will experience maximum joy and peace. Why? Because Jesus is after our flourishing. And so with that said, please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Thus is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we desire. Please pour down upon us your mercy and love in abundance, forgiving us those things which afflict our conscience and freely giving us those good things which we are not worthy to ask except through the merits of and the mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Dr. Uh, Andrew Nurberg, Newberg is the leading researcher in the field of neurology and spirituality. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, more specifically, He focuses on the development of neurotransmitter tracers for the evaluation of religiosity as well as psychiatric disorders such as clinical depression, head traumas, 
Parkinson's disease, and Alzheimer's disease. His work includes empirical studies on brain functioning while people pray. Isn't that interesting? And he was asked in an interview not long ago, it was 2014 actually is when this interview took place, in uh, how spiritual practices such as prayer and meditation affect the human brain. And uh, it's a really interesting interview, and he also did a report on ABC News. You ought to go Google some of this stuff and YouTube some of this stuff. But here's what he said in this particular 2014 interview. He said, quote, Now, we did a study on meditation practices with people that had never done meditation before. When they added this practice, a practice such as focusing on a particular passage of Scripture, we saw significant changes in the brain, in brain functioning. Significant changes in brain function. Specifically, we saw increased activity in the frontal lobes. That's one of the areas of the brain uh, involved with compassion and, and uh, positive emotions. And there were also changes in the thalamus. That's the part of the brain that helps us interconnect with people. Close quote. In his breakthrough book, How God Changes Your Brain, Dr. Newberg makes two significant claims based on empirical data. And to my knowledge, he's not a Christian. He's a very open-minded doctor, but he's not prescribed to any kind of religion. Now, these are the two significant findings that, that the data bared out. One was, is that prayer is an important practice if we're going to experiencing uh, if we're going to experience a flourishing life as people. That was across the board, no matter what you know, people subscribe to. Their life was better. In other words, those people that regularly prayed had a more satisfying life and conversely a less anxious life. Now, there were some exceptions in the study, but that's the main statement that he made. The other, other, his other finding was this. Not all prayer had the same effect on people. I find that really fascinating, don't you? What I find, what, 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 more precisely, he's found this. How we understand God, the God we're praying to, affects our brain and it impacts our experience of this life. Now, what I find fascinating is that this is exactly what Jesus has been telling us for 2,000 years. Once again, in typical wisdom literature style, Jesus on this mountain, he lays before us two ways of being in the world, a wise way and a the foolish way. We can either pray, Jesus says in his words, we can either pray like a hypocrite or we can pray like a whole person, a wholehearted person, where our inside and our outside are one. They're in alignment. Okay, And remember, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, a hypocrite, according to Jesus, is, is not how we define it. A hypocrite is not someone who speaks one way on Sunday, but they act some different way at work on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. A hypocrite, according to Jesus, is someone who does good deeds, someone who does moral or religious acts, Spiritual behaviors like praying, like reading the scripture, like helping the poor. But it's not because they desire to do it from their heart. They don't really want to do that from a heart. They don't, they don't want to have a connection with God while they do that. They do not love God even though they externally are actually obeying God's rules. 
They, a hypocrite is someone who lacks a changed heart that actually wants to live in a relationship with God, even though they're doing these religious activities or good things. And so we are behaving like hypocrites uh, whenever we pray to be seen and heard by other people, Jesus says, instead of praying to be seen and heard by God, our Father in heaven. But conversely, we are wholehearted or complete, or we could say the word perfect, which means whole people, when we're praying to be seen and to be heard by God. And in just these few, very few verses, Jesus is teaching us that prayer, get this, is utterly essential to experiencing the good life with God, and he's teaching us that not all prayer gets you there. Isn't that interesting? So in other words, and this is the big idea for today, experiencing maximum joy and peace through prayer is entirely dependent on knowing who we're praying to. We need to know who we're praying to. And that's what Jesus wants you and I to know. He's come to reveal God to us because he is God. Jesus is Jehovah, right? He's God. Experiencing maximum joy and peace through prayer is entirely dependent on knowing who we are praying to. And so this morning, we're going to look at a couple things. We're going to look at the uh, foolishness of human-focused prayers, and then we're going to look at how to pray wisely. Okay. So first, praying to be seen or to be you know thought well of, to be seen by humans, it's foolish. That's not my opinion. That's the word of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Meet me in verse 5. It's right here in the text. I'll show it to you. This is Jesus now speaking. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. That word literally means actors. Okay? You must not, so they're behaving, they're doing. You must not pray like the hypocrites, and, and here's why. Four, four means, and this is the basis, they love something. Do you say what's getting out of the, at our hearts? They do love something. They love to stand and pray in the synagogue. That's like a church building, but also on the street corner. They love to stand and pray in the synagogue and the street corner, but here's why. That they may be seen by others. That they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, and notice, Jesus doesn't appeal to God. He doesn't say, truly, I say, God says. What's Jesus, what's Jesus say? I say, Jesus is God. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, please notice, Jesus is not putting the emphasis, uh, Jesus is putting the emphasis not on the publicness of our prayers. He's putting the emphasis on the heart motive of our praying, Okay. How do you, how do we know this? Well, there's many times when we need to pray publicly. We can't go into like some quiet, isolated place, right? Amen. Can the church say amen? But by necessity, we have to pray publicly, like at weddings or sometimes at funerals or in a hospital where someone is sick or maybe dying or in a small group where we're studying scripture or as a pastor before a congregation on Sunday, like I, I get to do every week, right? And so, by the way, Jesus himself prayed very publicly for the benefit of the people who were listening to his prayers. Did you know that? And so we do need to practice how to pray publicly. He, he's, he's not forbidding this. 
I'll give you an example. John 11, verse 42. This is Lazarus. And so they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may not believe that you sent me. So he's not forbidding praying publicly or loudly or anything like that. It's the heart. Jesus is saying in Matthew that we are acting like hypocrites when we want others to think we know God more than we actually want to know God. <laughs> that's what he's saying. That that's the thing we desire in love. And by the way, that can be the desire of our heart, whether we pray very publicly or whether we refuse to pray publicly. See, it kind of jams you up because it's about your heart. I mean, we could say, well, at least if I'm quiet because I'm not very, quote, good at praying, I don't feel very comfortable praying out loud. And at least if I'm quiet, they'll think I know God. They'll think that I'm very spiritual. If I don't pray, right, they'll see me in a good light. So kind of get you both ways. See, Jesus says that is foolish because foolishness because that, he goes, look, that's the only reward you'll get. You will get it, by the way. He didn't argue that. You will get a reward. You will get some kind of a benefit, right? People will think that you are spiritually in tune with the divine, with God. They will think well of you. And Jesus says, and that is all that will happen. You forfeit any reward from God because you've received the reward that you really wanted from other humans. And so you got it. And that's all you get. God doesn't answer those prayers because they were not aimed at him. You were not talking to him. Brothers and sisters, when you are in need, and I mean like when you're, when you're really jammed up, when you are in need, what you really need is God to think of you. Amen? What you really need is God to consider your situation. What you need is God to see your heartache and your tears. That's what you need. That is the prayer that will give us maximum joy and peace. That is actually praying like the wise. And so that leads to the next point here. If we need to pray, pray to be seen by your Father who is looking for you. Pray to be seen by your Father who is looking for you. So here we are in verse 6. We're just going line by line here, guys. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is telling us that, he's telling us that who we pray to makes a difference in whether we're experiencing human flourishing or not, right? Are we praying to people or are we praying to God? But right here, Jesus then makes an even finer distinction for us. Okay, 
You're aiming your prayers like God. But which God? Which God are you talking? Do you know who you're do you know who you're talking to? Because that matters. We could come at it from another direction. How are we to imagine this God that we're addressing? Jesus says, pray to be seen by your Father who is looking for you. Because that will completely change how and why you pray. Here's some incredible news, friends. When you go looking for God in prayer, remember that God is looking for you in prayer. Isn't that good? Someone ought to say amen to that. That's good news. Listen, when your heart's desire is to be seen by God, when your heart's desire in prayer is to be known, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. Jesus tells us to go with the expectation that God is looking for you the way a father looks for his daughter, looks for his own son. That, that is the God you're praying to. So says Jesus on the mountain, right? Listen, guys, the most basic desire in every human heart is to be fully known by someone. Not everyone, but someone. If you and I were being honest, we were like, I just want someone to actually know everything about me and go, I will stay here anyway. All right, amen? We do. That's what we long for. I know all that stuff about you, and guess what? Let's have dinner. That's what you really want. We want intimacy. We want connection. That's love. And the research among infants that we have and how their brains develop actually bear this out. Did you know that? The left side of our brain is the hemisphere that analyzes and processes whatever we experience in life. You guys are taking in data from all over the room, my voice, the seat you're sitting in, and it's, it's processing all this stuff, right? And so this side of, the, this side of our uh, brain, or this hemisphere, it helps us detach emotionally so that we can rationally think through what we are experiencing. It helps us kind of take an emotional step back and go, okay, what does that mean? And let's analyze that. So this is the side of our brain that kicks in, that's activated when we need to like, oh, we're driving down the road and all of a sudden we have a flat tire. Okay, what? But the right hemisphere, the, the right side of the brain, that's the hemisphere that senses the whole world as a whole. Okay? Uh, uh, smell and touch and sight and sound and taste. It's also the, it also is a part of our brain that perceives nonverbal communication. It's also the part that gives us a sense of we, or like attachment, right? We're attached. We're, it's us. It's we. Now, what's interesting is that that part of the brain is the part that comes online first when we're born. Isn't that interesting? That's the part of the, that's the hemisphere of our brain that develops first as an infant, this sensing and this attaching part of the brain, which makes total sense for a little helpless newborn infant that needs someone to take care of them if they're going to survive, right? Psychiatrist Dr. Kurt Thompson puts it this way, quote, we are all born into this world looking for someone looking for us. 
and we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. Close quote. Like, guys, it's almost like Jesus knows this about us or something. It's weird. Think about that. Think about that for yourself. We are all born into this world looking for someone looking for us. Where are they? I'm scanning that little infant. Who's taking care of me? I need them now. Who can I attach to? We are all, everyone was born into this world looking for someone looking for us. And Jesus right here, he says, yes, I know that about you. I know that about you. Guess what? Good news. The Father, he's looking for you in prayer. God wants you to attach to him. And guess what? It gets better. God wants to attach himself to you. He wants, Jesus, what do you say? I want you to be in the Father and the Father to be in you. That's unification. He's united. He wants us to be attached in one, right? So what? So pray with the purpose. Not even so much about getting what you're praying for, but but pray with the purpose of being seen by your Father. Why? Because you will be seen by Him. Because the Father is actively looking for you. Picture that. Get that. Try to picture, if you conceptualize that, God looking for you when you're talking to Him. There is something dynamic going on. There's something moving and dynamic happening when we pray. Listen, I just want to just, let's do a little thought experiment real quick. What if we held this uh, image of God that Jesus is giving us in our minds right when we begin to pray, right, the, right as we get ready to pray, just for a second, maybe two seconds max. This isn't hard, right? Do you think we'd experience more peace and joy in life or as we pray? Over, I'm not saying over time, over time, long, long, long scale, for sure, for sure. Because how you perceive a God affects your life. Do you think that we want to pray more often? For sure, for sure. And so I want to invite you to try that little experiment this week. Just try it. May, I'll, I'll give you a little help here. Maybe it's like this. Before you pray, whether that's your food or a night's sleep or whatever, before you pray, I want you just to picture a picture. I want you to imagine, just for like two or three seconds, not long, picture the Father looking for you and not ignoring you. Whatever that might look like for you. Maybe maybe you imagine like you standing in this huge crowd of people, and all you can see is like from the shoulders up, you just see all these heads, like it's just all these faces of people. You imagine maybe standing in a huge crowd of people, and you're waving like to get 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 his attention, right? He doesn't quite see you yet, right? You're trying to get his attention, and then he turns his face towards you. Remember the benediction? He turns his face towards you, and he sees you, and your eyes meet. And guess what? You see that he sees you. You see that he sees you. It's a wonderful thing to be seen. Can the church say amen? 
and God waves back at you. He goes, because he's been looking, and I see you, yes, in prayer. He smiles, and then, then you open your mouth and pray your prayer. I mean, I slowed that way down, but I'm just saying one or two seconds. See if you do not experience some kind of reward for being seen by your father who's looking for you. This isn't hide and seek. If anything, it's I hide and he seeks. Okay? Third and finally, Jesus tells us, here's how to pray like a wise person. Here's how the wise pray. Pray to be heard by your father who's listening. Don't just pray to be seen by your father who's looking for you, but pray to be heard by your father who's listening to you. Verse 7 and 8, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think, they think, this is their picture of God. This is what's affecting their prayer life. They think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Here's why. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask him. Gentiles, these are unbelievers. They might be spiritual or not spiritual people, but the Gentiles, they viewed the gods as deities, lots of gods, and they viewed the deities, uh, uh, gods as deities that had to be appeased. They had to be kind of like put in a good mood, okay? Placated before they would grant requests to the humans. And so you had to get the God's attention when you went into prayer for the God or went into the temple or whatever. You had to get the God's attention because they were not listening to you. They had bigger priorities going on in the world than listen to the little tiny humans who live down in the dirt. Okay? And so, so they weren't listening to you. And maybe you had to get them in a favorable mood, you know, to give, to get what you want. So they might want to help you. You know, cause they got someone else over here kind of like giving them a little something. Why would I help you when I can, see what I'm saying? And so what did you have to do? What was the technique? What was the strategy of prayer? You had to give these long prayers. Pray long time. Cause you're trying to persuade the gods or goddesses with your many words. Here's what I need. I am infertile. My wife is infertile. I'm infertile. And we, you know, like we really want a kid and we've done this. See how I'm going on and on and on and on and on. I'm trying to persuade the God to help me. And also, um, we look back in history and we can see that some people, some of the Gentiles believe that prayer was a form of magic. And we got to be careful that we don't do that. It's a form of magic. You see, the gods have all the good blessings that we need. Like, we need them to live, right? Crops and air and water, right? Like, they have things we need. But they don't want, the gods don't want to give us those blessings. They don't want to give them. And so, if you say the right, the thinking one, if you said the right words, and if you said them, happen to say them in the right order, Right? You could exercise power over the God 
And she or he has no choice but to bless you. He has no choice but to help you because you crack the code, right? So they saw God or the gods as like this big pinata that has like all the goodies and the candies and the cookies and the, right? Fertility and a husband and a wife and the crops and like, but it's all stuck up there in the gods in the heavens, right? And prayer is like this big wooden stick that you whack the pinata with and pop out. <laughs> prayers go up, boop, blessings come down. And that's how that works, right? Does that make sense? And so what you do is you repeat lots and lots of these spiritual phrases, you know? And we got to be careful that we don't say, okay, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Whoa, I don't mean to step on toes, but I'm just saying. We don't do incantations and magic phrases. Amen? They would repeat lots of spiritual phrases, and they would repeat them over in various different combinations, at the beginning, at the end, what have you. And maybe, and maybe, maybe, maybe you'd accidentally happen upon the right words in the right combination and presto, blessings come down. All right. But do you see this adversarial type view of the gods in life? Do you see the underlying belief system that it's at work here? Do you see how, how you think about God matters and which God you're praying to? Listen, they're thinking this. God's not really listening to you. He's not really paying attention. He didn't really care what you do here on earth. God's not really interested in meeting your needs and supplying your provisions, so you have to override God's resistance to you by either persuading him in prayer or by pummeling him in prayer. I'm just going to keep praying until I get what I want, what I need. You see, there's no relationship of love there, huh? There is no love relationship there. There is no knowing God, and there is no I want him to know me. Prayer is just this big lever. It's this big crowbar of cause and effect. It's very mechanical. And so just to be clear, Jesus is not forbidding us praying long prayers. Jesus himself often prayed all night long. That's some long praying, right? And he's not forbidding repeating prayer over and over and over. Sometimes God wants to continually come to him and, and pray. And by the way, Jesus did that also. How many times did he pray the same prayer in Gethsemane? At least three that's recorded. At least three, maybe more. See, rather, Jesus is getting something fundamental to our soul, and he wants to correct it and change it. It's how we view God will affect when and how we talk to him. In fact, Jesus, as a good Jew, he grew up praying the Psalter such as Psalm 139. This is a great example of prayer if you want to learn how to pray like Jesus. You can pray the Psalms. He says, oh, it says, the, uh, the Psalter says, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit, when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel. And when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. And I like verse 14. Thank you for making me wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Jesus is saying something radical here, brothers and sisters. The God that we're praying to is a father who already knows that his children have constant and complex needs. They're not simple requests, right? He knows how complex your life is and my life is. And he says, that's wonderful. What? He goes, I view that as wonderful. 
Children, by definition, are utterly needy, and our constant neediness, it's not a nuisance to our Father in heaven. It's not a problem. They're not even supposed to be something you're supposed to grow out of. See, listen, Jesus is telling us some good news. You don't have to pry the provisions that you need from God out of his stingy, clenched fists with the crowbar prayer. That's not the God you're praying to. That's not the God you're talking to. And you don't have to beat around the bush by making your case for why you think you need what you need and what you're asking for. Your father already knows what you're going to ask him before you go to him to ask him. He already knows. He's been, he knows you, right? So just ask him boldly and simply. Why? Jesus says, because your father is already in the mood to listen to you with love and compassion. And then watch. Watch for him to answer you. You ought to expect the answer. Friends, ask yourself this question. Does my picture of God line up with the picture that Jesus is describing? Can I just be honest with you? This is not how my mind imagines God when I pray. Okay? Not often, like not all the time. This is not my default picture of God as I, as I go in to pray with him. I don't naturally imagine God as already in a good mood to hear me about my needs and about my problems like I did yesterday and the day before. And it's just hard for me to live. Like he really wants to hear about all that again. And he's excited that he wants to give, he, he actually wants to give me his blessings. Like, I have to train my mind to think this way. This is discipleship, amen? And this is why we work. We have to help each other with this. More often than not, I doubt that God's listening to me when I, when I pray. I really do. i got to fight that. I doubt that he's listening to me or that he's even looking for me when I pray. Because, I, because here's why. Honestly, I pray like a hypocrite a lot of the time. I pray to be seen by people like you guys. And I know that about me, and I know he knows that about me as well. I pray from like a double-minded heart. I pray, Lord, I'm coming to you because I want you to help me and give me what I need, but in my heart, I'm like, I doubt that you're even listening to me. That's double-minded. That's not one. That's two. That's splitness. I don't really trust that my father sees me, hears me, and actually wants to listen to me. And so, I don't know, maybe you're here, maybe you're wondering the same thing. Maybe that's like, you're like, hey, that's me too. I relate to that. Maybe for you, though, you don't pray in order to be praised by others, but you pray because it's expected by others. And so your prayers are flowing from, like, your head, but not from your heart. Maybe you're wondering today, why would God look for me in prayer? Like, he knows who I am. Why would he be looking for me when I'm in prayer? I don't look for him all the time. I just look for his goodies. I look for him. I look for his goodies. So why would he look for me? Why would God listen to my prayers? I don't listen to him. I listen for his goodies and his answers, but I don't listen to know him. So why would he listen to me? Look, maybe you're here and go, look, I hear what Jesus is saying. I hear the words of Jesus. And it sounds great. It sounds wonderful, in fact. But how can I know that his words are real? How can I know that that could apply to me? Well, here's how you can know that they are real. Jesus gladly traded places with us on the cross. 
That's how you can know. Through his crucifixion, Jesus received the reward of a hypocrite so that we could receive the reward of being a child of God. It says so in Ephesians chapter 1, the apostle says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. How? By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. Adoption is freedom. Okay? Purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave us our sins. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that we rightfully deserve. We deserve separation from God. We deserve darkness, outer darkness, not being known, not being seen, right? And he took that from us, for us. On the cross, Jesus struggled to breathe for hours. Remember that? People were down at the foot of the cross, right? All the religious people, all the people that knew the Bible and said they knew God, they were all standing around and they were taunting him. Why don't you go call out to your father? Why don't you pray to God and see if he even wants you? Remember that? And then we'll believe. And then they stood around to see if God would come and help him. But there was no answer from heaven, right? There was no answer from heaven. The only response from the Father to Jesus was silence. Oh, in darkness. It says darkness fell upon the earth for three straight hours, right in the middle of the day. That was the response that he got for his prayers, right? The Bible says, it was as if, guys, that the Father did not see him and did not hear the, the prayers of his son. Instead of being heard, Jesus received silence. Instead of being seen, Jesus was hidden by darkness. And on the cross, Jesus, quoting Psalm 22, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And the Apostle John tells us why. In 1 John chapter 4, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Christ died for us so that we could be adopted into God's family. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did this so that we could be seen and we could be heard by our Heavenly Father, even though we are spiritual hypocrites. Jesus received the abandonment that we deserve so that we could receive the welcome that he deserved, a father that is actively looking for us and listening to us when we come to him in prayer. That is how much God loves you and me. Believe that. Believe that. Look to the cross and believe that is real. And then pray. I love you. Jesus loves you too. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Your love looks like sacrifice. It looked like death and dying and losing, but really it was winning. Thank you for washing away our sins and adopting us into your family for all who believe, for all who put our trust in you. And we thank you that we can call out to you anytime, anywhere, and you are looking for us and you are listening to us. Help us believe that. Take your words and now put them and penetrate them deep into our heart that we might be changed people. In Jesus' sacred name we pray. Amen.